Jimmy. Yeah. We're getting started. Okay. Anytime you're ready. Right now. I cannot put this down, James. <laughs> Todd, he worked on if this I... joke for like 34 seconds before we got started. <laughs> Come <laughs> I, on, I started, guys. I said, he goes, should I do it? And I was like, I mean, it's the most Jim thing I've seen all day. But it is Jim, and it is me. And if I didn't do it, people would be like, is he okay? Is he all right? <laughs> Todd, welcome uh, to the show. Dr. Todd, do it. I never know what to call you, sir. You tell me today, and I promise I'll remember. You? You call me Todd. Oh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> out of, out I, of respect, I call him Todd. Dr. Todd. Dr. Todd, do it. Welcome back to the show, sir. Welcome. My yeah, pleasure. absolutely. Great to both of you. I'm happy to be here. When Todd reached out the other day, when I saw his email, it's funny because I can visualize Todd because I'm like the low budget version of Todd when I shave, right? Somebody said that. I don't know if you remember that, Todd, but at our conference in 2017, there's a picture of us together. And when we got back, somebody replaced my face with your face. So it was just you and you. And that went viral within the company. So we're nice. blood brothers, whether you knew it or not, my friend. <laughs> Is that infamous or famous or what do you want to consider we'll that? Whatever, whatever gets us in there, right? Uh, Todd, welcome back to the show. I know this one's really special and Jim kind of teased it a little bit. I but had to. I found out in the pre-show that we've got a copy before, I mean, basically before Amazon. I mean, no big deal. Whoa. <laughs> Tell us a little something about this, Todd, real quick. Yeah. Why are That's you good. here? Yeah, why am I here? Uh, you guys are good friends and clients. That's why. Um, so I, I'm here to talk about leadership, but there's a specific vehicle, event I've got coming up that I'm very excited about. My latest book is called Dancing with Monsters, and it's something I've never done before. It's a business fable. You guys are probably well aware of that little niche market in the business book world. Yeah. And for a long time, I thought about uh, putting my toe in that water, and I finally did, and I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, let me jump in. I Okay, you mentioned fable. A lot of people are right now saying, okay, wait a minute. And I have to ask the question, we want to, what brought you to this place in your career? What, what you know, it, it's a little bit out of the norm, but it's really, I mean, riveting and fun to read, exciting, energetic. And Todd, for those yeah. that don't know, you catch them up on your journey here. You kind of your origin story as quickly yeah. as you can. Sure, sure. No, very, very quickly. Uh, so I started with Anderson and Ernst and Young doing the the big box consulting thing. Uh, realized quickly that I was bright enough to maybe do something in this life, but didn't fit well there, which led to a really good decision uh, to get a PhD at Texas A&M in organizational behavior in the business school. And then I was a professor for a decade and a, a dean as well for a short period of time before I I found yet an even better calling, which is makes me very, very lucky. And that's writing and speaking and making online courses for that exploding world out there now. Uh, most of my work's with LinkedIn, as you know. And here's the truth to answer the first part of that question about where this book come from? Why'd you do this kind of different thing? Sometimes you look to do a thing because you have a big interest in it, big interest. Sometimes right. you look to do a thing because you tried something else and it did not go well. That's a true story, gentlemen. I've written a novel. I've tried to write a novel three times in my life. All three resulted in large piles of words that I hope no one ever sees. It just <laughs> isn't my calling. It's For not. Sure. The, the most recent, and I think the last time, frankly, that I'm ever going to try that happened a year and a half ago. I'm I'm, I'm internally bleeding. I'm, I'm thinking about this. I got to let it go. Got to let it go. Great. But I do have a kernel of an idea that I like. And the story was about a vampire in an office setting and the troubles that he faced. 
And I was like, oh, what can I do with this? Do I have to let it go? I don't have to, but I have to change gears. And then I remembered I'd had a fascination with the fable part of the business book market for a long time, starting with way back in the day, who moved my cheese all the way wow. through the modern immense success of uh, Pat Lencioni. And I thought to myself, can I do that? And I just started thinking and I couldn't stop thinking again, true story. Six hours later, I had kicked out the rough first draft of this book that I think is probably the best thing I've written so far. I, it's I wonderful. Let me, let me just jump in real quick because you hit on something right there that struck my mind. I want to talk about, you mentioned failures and mistakes. And, and as I read this, I, you know, being brave and, and going after those thought process. I mean, it's just such a, it's a universally important topic. And I love when people come up with new ways to have us face that because it's hard. That's why all of us in my world are always out here reminding people about the importance of facing those fears, failures, setbacks, and learning from them because that's what moves you forward. So literally I wrote this third and final novel and it was no good. And I thought about the fable thing. I kicked it out. It felt like it fit like a glove. I first thought I had when I was done was, man, I wish I had discovered that this mode kind of fits me 20 years ago. Maybe things that would be a little different, but I don't care. I'm just glad that it happened. And, and so the, the, the protagonist has got to learn from some of his mistakes. The mm -hmm. author had to learn from his mistakes to, just to get this thing done. In fact, I've already found at least one mistake my editor missed that's in the book. Mm -hmm. So there's mistakes written all over this book in service of learning and growth. And that sounds like an Easter egg. See, that's a feature. You just got to learn how to market it, right? There's a there's an Easter egg in this book. You got to find it. You should buy it. Uh, right. Todd, you said, you know, in the past, your books always tell your own stories. That's one of the things I love about you is as a keynote, you're you're amazing because your own stories are so powerful, right? But with a book of fables in that, are some of these fables your stories? Be honest. Are you the vampire? Uh, to a certain degree, absolutely. I'll 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 validate your insight right there, smart guy. Uh, um, listen. So when Joe had his epiphany alone in the conference room, and and the reader doesn't know it, I'm not going to spoil it for him. But you you know the thing he was hiding that he eventually used to get vulnerable with his team and start building real rapport. Uh, that moment of being honest, even though it's difficult, I had my own life. I'll, I'll give you the very short version. I was working for Ernst and Young. I'm living in a nice place in Midtown Atlanta. And I was very unhappy. I, I, I had what everyone thought was a prestigious job, good role, good pay, all that for my age. I was in the late 20s. And I was very unhappy. Knew I wanted to do something creative and different that had to do with business, not at all the thing I was doing. And I didn't know what to do about it. I had an idea, but I was scared to act. Sound familiar about everybody on earth? Yeah. Yep. Sign me I was up. on a phone call with my mother. And she was talking about whatever. And I started to break down. She could hear it. And so she asked me, what's wrong with you, kid? And I told her. I just had a moment. I bawled my eyes out, which I hadn't done for a while. And I needed it. And told her, I'm very unhappy. Everyone thinks I'm doing great. I'm very unhappy. This is not what I want to do. She said, what do you want to do? And I basically said some version of the PhD professor thing. And she said, well, what's stopping you? And then I just had an epiphany, like, leave it to a mom to say the obvious. And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> that's fantastic. And that's where it started. And that kind of inspired the Joe thing. I love it. I love it. You know, you're not the first person writing about um, what Jim said earlier, mistakes, failures, things like yeah. that. Uh, there's a lot of books out. There. There's a lot of fable books. You mentioned a lot. I, it's a cool little subgenre if you're not into it. But what that's makes brilliant. what makes your book different? What makes uh, you as an author different than those out there? Or the well, same, I, I, right? <laughs> No, I hear you. I try. 
to differentiate myself on my voice uh, by being not so simplistic. Uh, let me give you an example. I don't like to say things like hard work always produces success. Uh, you know, creativity and innovation should be the backbone of your career. I don't like saying those things without saying more things about them to give them a real honest perspective. Uh, creativity and innovation, good examples. And they refer to the book as well, because to get scares really happening, which is what these monsters, of course, are pursuing. Uh, they had to do some weird things. They discovered they could do some strange and interesting and new things. That's a beautiful part of careers. It's a beautiful part of life. It's not risk-free. And so one thing, for example, in the end of the book, I didn't tie it the way some people might have wanted to tie up a fable with people all just getting complete wins across the board. It's a little more open-ended, and that's on purpose because I want people to realize that you do these self-improvement acts, whether it's vulnerability or an act of creativity and innovation, you do them because it's the right thing for you to do and you can't control the outcome. And it's not always simplistically positive, but long-term over the course of a career, it is absolutely worth it because now you get to know exactly what you were capable of doing. Well, you know, in, in, in a little bit of the reading and I dived into this a little bit, where you mentioned in there uh, the important spot fitting or the fit into your career. And that's what you were kind of going along also with your origin story too. Bring me a little bit farther along that. How can I take that journey? Sure. So, so in that, in that uh, shell first shell story, you've got uh, Noah wondering whether or not to take a certain promotion at work. There's risks, there's pros, there's cons. And then at the end, of course, you see uh, the main protagonist, Joe Vampire, and he opts out of an interesting opportunity. So it's a two different perspectives. And the point is not that one is right and the other is wrong. I yeah. hope the reader gets this. The point is we're all different and you're trying to find where you fit. And by fit, I mean a relatively good alignment of your interest, your personality, your skills, and the work that you're actually getting paid to do. No one has perfect fit. Lots of people have really problematic fit. Can you improve on this spectrum? And the answer is yes. And it's not risk-free. For example, Joe took the risk to say no to the committee and try and stay in that role that he just learned he's great at now that he figured out how to do it he wants to do that more why because when you have fit you see value in your work you feel a little bit of purpose you feel less anxiety you feel a little more comfortable and productivity goes up who doesn't want that sign me up yeah yeah um todd one thing and this goes back to the first time the i mean i remember the first video i saw of yours i don't remember what it was for but but it enticed me to even reach out to you about speaking at our first uh conference was really about authenticity i changed my look at that boom for sure right i've made a living off this very thing todd i mean you you were you were a mentor for me to watch how you did business uh, because in our segment, in our space, it was pretty consistent, right? We joke there's a uniform to it, right? Like, it's pretty simple to know what we look like in our industry. And um, breaking through that, I mean, we joked about it this morning, Jimmy. This is not who our industry is necessarily all the time, and that's okay. Because there's a big group that it is who we are, right? And so being authentic has been something you have focused on. And your characters in these stories, they they have a focus on it. Why, Todd? Why are you still preaching this gospel to us? You know, it's yeah. funny. When I started preaching this 20 years ago, uh, there were a few voices out there doing it, and it was a harder sell uh, today because it's still close to my heart, no joke, uh, and it's who I am. You can just take a look at me and figure that out. Mm -hmm. um, there's many more voices, but when you compare what we're doing as troubadours 
to what's going on inside organization by organization, we've made progress and there's still tons left. That's why uh, I'm still doing it. I, I get to talk to a lot of people in a lot of orgs, and I know you do too. Not every person I talk to has that opportunity. They're usually lost inside their org. Uh, and when you look across teams and across orgs and across industries, you realize we have made progress and boy, we have a lot more to make in terms of valuing the individual in a variety of ways. So I look at your background and I'm like, yes, he knows some people are going to log in and not know about Snoop Dogg or not like Snoop Dogg, but it means something to him. How can I use that? If you care about authenticity, the first thought should be not, do I like Snoop Dogg or not? The first thought should be, wonder what he digs tell about Snoop more, Dogg, right? how I can figure out how we can talk about that a little tell bit, because that's going to help me understand this person. That, I want a relationship. Yeah, that background right there, that's James's brain right there. I mean- Oh, but that's part of it. No, I'm sorry. That's part of it because his brain so is left brain, right there. brain. I mean, at all the time. It's a scary place, Todd. It's a scary <laughs> place. <laughs> I think, uh, you know what? There's a generational answer to you as well because each successive generation, and right now we have more in the workforce together than ever before, literally. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they they tend to care more and more about authenticity, personal self-expression and, and things of that nature. So my love of this topic over the years happens to now be even better aligned with the emerging workforce. Jimmy, Jimmy, I'm going to jump on this next one because Do this it. comes from a place that's really important to me. And two years ago, it would have been even more important. And I feel like as a service to my um, previous life over human resources, okay, <laughs> That is all. Oh, wait, wait, HR wait, 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 wait. Oh, I got to interrupt. Wait, everybody, look at look at that background. Look at his creative skills, and then Listen HR with all the rules. Listen, Left brain, right you brain. can take me out of HR, but you cannot take the HR out of me. And I think for all folks that I'm, I'm a little bit of a spoiler, but again, it's a, you need to read the book. Yep. Are do you really think HR people are the witches? Because <laughs> it's so it's so ironic to talk about. It's funny that you say that because I obviously wrote it provoking response in a conversation just like this. Uh, and it's ironic, too, because you know who gave me a start uh, 20 plus years ago as a professional speaker? It was the HR community. Of course. Ohio, and then the Midwest, then nationally and beyond. Uh, I have a lot of love for HR, but they have two big parts in the world of HR that have been evolving in different ways over time. The mechanical rule following, uh, people mm -hmm. all about the compliance and benefits and so on. And then old the school. people develop old school, the original personnel. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got the emerging, ever-growing world of people development-related things that go by L&D, they go by lots of names. Uh, so I, I like to yeah. joke about which one, how they should separate the two, to be honest with you. But the answer to your question is no. I think they're asked to do things that give them a bad rep sometime mm -hmm. that need to be done. Uh, and they don't understand the necessity of, of that type of bureaucracy, but it is a necessity. The question is, can you uh, execute those things in a way that doesn't ruin your reputation? I thought it would be funny, and I didn't call them HR, I don't think. Wow. But in the book, I thought it would be funny to put an administrator in the witch position just to make people laugh. Oh, I felt like they were, you were saying HR. But if you say it wasn't HR, then we will take <laughs> your word for it, sir. We'll be we'll be good with that. I do have a question about teams and individuality and how they fit in together. I, sure. I've heard things lately where if people in teams spend an individual spends eighty percent of their time doing the things that they do great, organically the team is probably going to be diverse enough that the next person spending eighty percent will pick up the twenty percent that the other person doesn't have. 
Um, and again, the book goes into a lot of great team stuff too. Thoughts on that? Um, well, your comment's really good. I think there's, there's a, I would add this to it. That happens under certain conditions. And the condition is, uh, to put it crudely and simply, is optimizing relationships. When a leader cares not just about goals and milestones and performance mm -hmm. and all the metrics, all those things that are essential, that's the building block. That's not the only target. The other half, okay. many people, me included, say it's 51 plus percent, not just 49 and less, is the relationships. And when you actually care about words like empathy, not read it, not recite it, but care, and it shows in your words, your gestures, your behaviors, your decisions, then people know that you care. And when people know that you care in a team, it's hilarious. You're talking about 80-20 and learning what that guy knows and so on. It's hilarious how much more people want voluntarily, not under mandate to do well by their prescribed tasks and to be helpful and maybe useful if someone's absent over there in that area when they believe that the boss and most colleagues are genuine, decent people who actually care about them, not just rely on them to execute certain tasks. That's a simple, beautiful truth. Wow. And, and that helped me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a pro transition too. like, as far as uh, vulnerability, you said empathy, vulnerability, like that, that's all the rage right now, right? We, like you said, not the only person talking about it, candor, radical candor. And if you read through that, obviously, um, but why, where have you seen these make the biggest difference with teams? Like, is it that, is that what we're shooting for is if I trust you, if I know what, what impacts you, if I know you were up late last night and you came in and you felt safe enough to say, guys, I'm not my best. I'm going to be on email today. Like, is it simply that to streamline and make us more effective? Well, I, I think there's a lot of answers to that question. Probably my favorite, which does relate to my career, what I used to teach, what I preach on stage and what I wrote in that book. Um, has to do with change, creativity, and improvement. Because a lot of people will, in passing, note that, that you have to ask for it, you have to support it when you see efforts and ideas and experiments, and there better be a foundation of trust. This is me getting back to relationships like I always do. There better be a foundation of trust, or when you ask, you'll hear crickets. When they try and you're not affirmative in an interesting way, they will not be trying again, et cetera, et cetera. So you want a team willing to have next level conversations that involve a little risk about how we might do what we do differently tomorrow. You better care a lot about being human, authentic, vulnerable. All those things really blend together. That is to say, you're not just being a professional, you're showing them a quality person because they have to invest in both before they'll take risks on your behalf. 100%. You know what that is, Jimmy? Emotional what bank is it? account. Emotional bank account. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. going back Absolutely. to seven habits. I mean, if you don't have it, you're not insufficient friends, my friend. I Absolutely. I'll, and then I'll ding you again when it <laughs> hits again. And, and I learned emotional bank account from James over the years. He has been, and the first time he said it to me, I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you know, the seven habits. And he's like, come with me and taught me. Let's go on uh, a journey. Yeah. Let's go. And we've been on a journey with seven habits and a and beautiful thing is it never ends. You can continue, continue to learn and hone and get better. You yeah. fall, you fail, you get better, you stand up, you take two steps forward. Uh, question for you on leadership. You had mentioned in here, SSGW. Sure. <laughs> and uh, do you want to unpack that for us a little bit? Sure. Because so that really goes into what you were just talking about that, that aspect. It's a mantra. It's a mantra. Uh, it turns out that our protagonist in this little story, uh, like myself, is enamored of saying the right thing and thinking the right thing to get centered and focused in the right way before you engage a task. And I fell in love, by the way, when I was a teenager, 
And I found out that uh, Michael Jordan and several other interesting athletes all believed in their own mantras and all believed in visualizing, getting it mm -hmm. done in a successful way. I was very intrigued by that. How could something so simple be so useful? And I started trying it myself and trying. I've been trying it ever since because it works. It's useful. No magic uh, powders here, but it's useful. And so I put that in there. That stands for get uh, take the step get the scare, grow, win. And take the step actually is my favorite part of this little silly mantra that the group uh, adopts. And, and why do I say that? Because anytime you see people who know they need to improve and that's what's happening to them, they face a big challenge together as a team. You, you One of the biggest things to get this uh, eventual success is to simply meaningfully get started. They want to plan. They want to think. They want to worry. All kinds of upfront activities before acting actually leaping in towards the goal. So I chose, I made a choice from my observation over time of people having that free hesitation thing way too often in the face of needed improvement or change. First, first thing you do, man, is start because after you start, you realize I can take a few more steps and a thousand of those together gives me huge success. Take the step. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. <laughs> if you can't walk then crawl but whatever you do keep moving forward we talk about it all the time todd i'm telling you it's, we do we are we are planners we're engineers we per analysis paralysis is a very real thing and those of us that are blessed with uh the strength of strategic you know being strategic you slow yourself down so much you don't understand how powerful it is just to start Trust me, the minute you start, everyone will tell you what you could do better. I promise you, whether it's you really start funny. or not. <laughs> I, I want to be honest because I'd like to be frank and honest with anyone that follows my work. It's You mentioned several other books at this point. I, it, most people in my world aren't sharing new knowledge, and they hate it when I say this. They're, mm. they're just not. They're trying to find an effective way to take some of these classic ideas and get you to care about them, see them, mm. maybe fit them into your, your behaviors every day. That's why I wrote The Fable, was because it's different for me and maybe color enough, colorful enough to get a few people to think about some of these quality, important, basic ideas in a way that they hadn't before. Uh, Todd, can we talk about I mentioned it earlier on candor, but you said something about candor, not just kindness. And I think that's a, an interesting ba balance, yeah. right? Because yeah. we've heard, and I think as we all kind of dig out of the pandemic, whatever that looks like in the world that you're in and get out in the real world and all that, that we lived through a moment where kindness was, was pushed up a notch even further, right? So yes, candor was is important, has always been there, but we put a, I think a little bit of an extra emphasis over this time as we manage people virtually and you, you dealt with things in your life and health and, you know, sure. uh, hierarchy of needs wise, people were challenged. So, um, any, anything to add on that? Well, I'm glad that that was part of our collective response to that crazy pandemic, um, because people needed it and there's still lots of people in lots of bad shape. Another, that's a whole other yeah. conversation. Amen. But the, the question's really about the balance. And what I like to tell people, again, for me trying to differentiate myself and frankly, just be useful to people, be honest about what happens in workplaces. Uh, you can't just have straight positivity all the time. That sounds almost offensive to some progressive thinking people out there. And then I say this and they get even more angry. In fact, excessive positivity can be properly labeled and it's studied by people, uh, toxic positivity. 
Yes, that's where people want to be kind in such a way. They just really do. It comes from a good place. But as you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> Absolutely. So they, they want to be kind so much that they never say critical things that we know need to be said if we're going to optimize what we do because conversations about performance are good and bad. So we just got to try and manage that well. So what, is, what do I see in high-performing teams? I see candor. That's straight to the point. No innuendo necessary. Say what needs to be said. It can be wrapped in emotionless and or somewhat positive wording framing, mm. but it's really no innuendo straight to the point. Everyone and every group varies in their ability to take straight candor. So you got to learn to read a room and read some people for sure. I don't want you to be brutal. I want you to be more honest and straightforward than you usually are. So you need lots of kindness, uh, positivity, congeniality for sure, but you need every bit as much, if not that much more candor, because when you have both, the candor actually works. When you don't have both, the candor is brutal too much and ugly. Very same words, depends on the context. Yeah. That hurts. You know, it's interesting too, and that fits in, I, I know, your leadership rules, as you mentioned, you know, uh, collaborate, don't dictate, opportunities, not obstacles, authenticity, not acting, you know, being authentic, being real. That one hit home for me a lot is just making sure that when you're communicating like that, they understand really where your heart and mind is. So they understand that. And one of the other one that I really like for leadership skills is be the change and not the boss. You know, I, I think you knocked it out of the park with those. Those are those are things that I could see myself putting actually on one of my boards where I could see those daily as an affirmation. When I see people, good, solid, successful pros like you tell me that these ring true to you as useful, it makes me so happy because what I did <laughs> when I tried to write this, I tried to think to myself, okay, if you've only got a handful of things you could share and you were done speaking to everyone forever, what would you say? And those are the five that I kicked out because you could kick out. I know you guys could do this too. You could kick out 30 easy, but those are the five. And I did them in a compare contrast way to make a point uh, that I really, if you only give me five, I'll give you those. I'll and give the one you, you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's but what I got to really ask though. Did, you couldn't narrow them down. You were like, I'm going to merge them and get 10. Like, Go ahead. Yes, please. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what's your, which is your favorite? Is there one that's your favorite? The one that you live by? Oh, it's it's really a very tough. individual. It is. It's like uh, a I say be the kid. change, not the boss. If I was preaching on preacher mode, I'd say be the change, not the boss. That is to say, you don't okay. have to tell people to be kind when you're showing people what kindness looks like, just as one of many, many, many examples. And authenticity, not acting. It's a, Maybe if I was uh, talking about myself, I clearly live that one most consistently. And I think most people, I mean this, I mean this. I think most people, good professionals that you know, carry around a bunch of baggage you don't know about, you may mm -hmm. never know about mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they've got this monkey on their back about how they want to speak, how they want to look, how they want to behave. I'm not saying all of us should be uncensored, 100% authentic all the time. And we all know that could be crazy and dangerous. But I do know that we all live in a very censored way for halfway decent reasons, very censored way all the time. And that real productivity is in between those two extremes. And that's why I'm pushing people to think that way. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we go on for another hour and we'll, I've got another <laughs> list of questions after this. And Jimmy, did you say you had a favorite one? Was it be the change, not the boss? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, I mean, that's really one of those. But, you know, honestly, the candor and not just kindness for me, you know, I'm a very kind person. And, I, you know, I got to make sure that I, I that one actually more talking, listening to Todd hearing that really has struck a chord with me. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, dive in or explore that one internally with me. 
Yeah, I'm a you. big I'm a big candor fan, and it may be a season of life that I'm in. I'm just turning into a curmudgeon, you know. I think when you get a little gray in your beard, it's called candor. Then, right <laughs> before it got you fired, I think no, but I I really lean into candor a lot. I think it's very important. I think like what you were saying, Todd. I think you have to have tact. I think you have to have the emotional intelligence to understand and and situate situational awareness to understand the situation that you're in and the environment, right? You you can't just be a reckless, you know, bull in a china cabinet. But there is a place for sure to have hard decisions in business. And if you can't walk away, I just had this conversation. If you can't walk away and say, okay, what's for lunch? Then you're probably not with the right group, right? So, um, yeah, man, I, I love that. Those are great. Todd, we're wrapping up. Man, whirlwind. That was fast. Um, it, it went we flew by. Some kind of record because you talk fast. I like it. I enjoy it. Oh, he's um, very quick. <laughs> we do. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but you know, you you grab a new show on Netflix or something like that. I'm all about dialogue. I like speedy dialogue, and so Todd's always been my jam, man. Yeah, so, <laughs> absolutely. All right, all right, ready, Todd. It's a new season. It's our fourth season. We still haven't got canceled. So, uh, fourth season. And we changed the final question this this uh, season. And so, you ready? Right. What, Todd? What do you want to be when you grow up? Ah, uh, I'll I'll say that I don't ever want to grow up. If the definition that you're using is to be what we used to think of as a traditional adult, uh, I, I'm going to be utterly mature all the time, make safe decisions, stay out of trouble, and do the right thing. If that's our definition, I'm going to say our definition is becoming really, really antiquated, and I'm not sure I want to grow up. It's really a state of mind. I hope to be responsible as all get out while constantly experimenting like a kid for the rest of my duration. Amen. Outstanding. We got to get that chills, one. man. Yeah, we got to cut that one and 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 shout that from the mountaintops. When, yeah, when does this come out? What are we, tell what us are we more about do? the Todd. Uh, tell us more yeah, about the book. Thank you for asking. It is out wherever you buy books real soon, April 18th. 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 I happen to look on a few book places, mm. a.k.a. Amazon. No, no free sponsors. No. no free sponsors, Amazon. Okay. But it is listed there, so you can actually pre-order it. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no. Or if you know a guy, I mean, he's got. Look behind him. There's a whole bunch of sitting there. He's not reading them all. Just, just sweet talking. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Todd. Todd if they want to book you, oh, sorry, Jimmy, yeah. go for no, it. No, go ahead. You got it. Go, Todd. You go ahead. Growth on it. The answer to your question is: if someone wants to find me and connect, I'm always on LinkedIn. That's my social platform of choice. If you're looking to know more about the book, other things I do, or to book me to speak, just go over to drdoit.com. Wonderful, professional. Todd. You're you don't know it, but you're going to be my mentor to get my first book out. You've inspired me. <laughs> I again. Hope so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A pleasure. Thanks, Jim. I hope we can see you a third time a few years from now when I earn the right. Oh, no, you already have the rights. We're going to see you soon, brother. Sounds good. Right. Thanks, guys. All right. All right. Yeah.